0: we get asked questions all the time. Hey Dad, can I watch something on TV? Dad, can you get me a drink? Hey Dad, you want me to take the dog out? Do you want some scrambled eggs? Can I play a game, please? May I turn on some music, please? Can I watch Frozen? Can I take a ride on my bike? Hey Dad, wanna play Battleship? Dad, what's for dinner? Can I color? Why is the sky wet? Why is the dog doing Why is water wet? Dad. Dad! Hey Dad? Daddy! But when God asks, Welcome to the third message in our When God Asks series. I am so excited about this series. So far, we have learned that God does not ask questions because He needs an answer. Remember that the God that we serve is omniscient, meaning He knows. He knows all. There is nothing that is hidden from Him. At any moment, He has full recollection of every detail every fact that is out there. So why would God ask questions? For this reason. He asks questions for the benefit of the person to whom he's asking the question. For example, when he spoke to Adam. After Adam and Eve fell in the garden and sinned and Adam was hiding from God as he walked in the cool of the day. He said, where are you? Not because Adam was lost, not because he didn't know where Adam was, but because he wanted Adam to recognize that suddenly he had gone from walking in perfect communion with God to hiding from him. So he said, where are you? He wanted Adam to take a cold hard look at where he was because of his actions. Next, we looked at Cain and Abel after Cain brought an offering that was rejected by God and Abel brought one that was accepted by God and Cain was enraged by this and God said, why are you angry? Do you think God was confused as to why Cain was angry? No, he knew full well. But he needed Cain to understand what had caused the problem in the first place. He was angry because he wasn't living the life he needed to live and he did not please God as he should have. So he was angry, he was humiliated, he was embarrassed because his younger brother had pleased God and he hadn't. God never asks for his own benefit. He asks for our benefit to cause us to work through the situation and understand it better. To bring us to a place of repentance and change. And to explain the purpose of his plan from here on out. Oh, I'm excited about today's message. In fact, I might get a little more boisterous than usual. Because I already feel it coming on. Today, we're going to talk about Moses. And we're going to talk about when God said, What is that in your hand? Grab your Bible, you're going to want it with you on this one. Grab a pen and paper, because what we talk about today could change your life. I'm looking forward to it. Walk along with me as we study together. I'm Michael Land, and this is Landline. (laughs) you're listening to Landline. We want to reach people for Jesus. You can help us. Just listen later when dad tells you how to support us. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Be sure to click the like and subscribe button. Now back to the podcast. Let's take a look in Exodus chapter 3. I've spoken on this passage of Scripture many times. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And we're going to look at some very specific parts of it today. Uh, But we've got a lot to cover. So I need you to stay with me. Turn to Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock... To the west side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people Who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you at Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses said, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Holy Father God, we come to you now that we have read your word. We recognize that this is the divine word of our creator, God. And we believe what you say in your word. We accept it as the divine word of God. So Lord, we want to digest it. We want to receive what you would have us to learn through this passage of scripture today. God, help us to learn more about who you are and more of a way to please you by obeying you. Father, I pray that you will apply this word to our faith as my listeners, my friends who are walking along through this journey through the Bible with me, as we study together, as we grow together, I pray that you will apply the nourishment of your word to our lives so that we can follow hard after you, so that we will set aside our own tendency to disobey, so that we will set aside our own tendency to doubt our own weaknesses our own fears and we will follow hard after you no matter what for the time is coming when our faith will be needed in order to walk with you we've had it easy for so long so god prepare us for the times to come in the name of our lord our savior our master and our brother Christ Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Kenneth Sauer wrote the following. Can anything good come from me? In John chapter one, verses 43 through 51, Jesus finds Philip and then says to him, follow me. After this, Philip runs to tell his friend Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph at this Felix scoffs and says Nazareth can anything good come from there can anything good come from Nazareth can anything worthwhile come out of this place I think we ask the same question in a lot of ways, often about ourselves. Can anything good come from my life? Can anything good come from my family situation? Can anything good come from someone with my personality? Can anything good come from someone who looks like me? Can anything good come from someone who struggles with the things that I struggle with? Can anything good come from someone my age? Can anything good come from someone who's failed and made the mistakes that I have? I've wondered about these things many times. How about you? I think Kenneth Sauer is on to something. We all struggle with self-doubt. We all struggle with meeting goals and wondering if we are enough, if we have within us what it takes to accomplish what is set before us. And anyone who has ever been called of God to a specific purpose and knows what that purpose is has questioned, do I have what it takes? If you haven't questioned, you might be a little prideful. You see, God doesn't call men to things that fit their plans. God doesn't call men to tasks that fit like puzzle pieces into the trajectory they set for themselves in their lives. God calls people to big things and stretches the man to fit the call. So here we see in the book of Exodus, Moses, standing before the burning bush, confronted by God himself, who is calling him to achieve what he deems impossible. Now, let's be fair for a moment to Moses as he stands before the burning bush. A miraculous event is taking place. He's caught off guard. He's, he's on his heels. He did not expect this to happen today. He was, interestingly, raised as royalty. He was raised in the most powerful household on earth. And here he is tending sheep in exile. Being a shepherd is one of the lowest occupations that was available at the time. You would send your children to tend your sheep, not your adult son-in-law's. It's almost insulting to be a shepherd. It was a lowly position to watch over sheep all day. It's not a skilled position. You gave the man a stick and told him where the best pasture land was and you turned him loose with the sheep. That was the lot of the shepherd. So, so Moses had gone from being at the top of the world being at the seat of power, being educated in the finest schools, to wandering through pastures with sheep. This is where we find Moses at the beginning of our story today. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. But God... One day Moses is walking across the wilderness with his sheep and he sees in the distance a bush that is lit a fire, but doesn't seem to be being consumed by that fire. This is one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. And to know that God chose to reveal himself in this way, there are so many layers and depths to what can be gleaned from this story. It's hard to focus on just one, but today that is exactly what we will do. Moses sees the bush alight with fire and decides to go look at it, saying that, I will go look and see this strange sight of this bush that is on fire but not consumed. And when God saw that Moses turned aside, God spoke to him and he said, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes because where you're standing is holy ground. What an amazing experience that had to be, especially considering that we have no indication that Moses was exceptionally religious before this point. But suddenly here he stands, barefoot in the sand, next to a bush that is burning but not consumed. God will speak to you in unique and individual ways. God will communicate his presence to you in his way, in his time, and not according to our plans. And God begins to speak to Moses and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. You all know the story. God says, I've heard the cry of my people, and I have seen what's going on, and I know the oppression that they face. I know the struggle that they live in at the hands of the Egyptians, and I will deliver them, and I want you to go and deliver the message for me. And Moses said, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses seems to play along for just a moment. And he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God was very specific in his command and in his promise to be with Moses and the Israelites when he went. Here we have a man who had gone from the heights of power and authority and had fallen to the obscurity of a desert sheep herder. This man, who had at one time held the favor of the ruler of Egypt, had fled in fear after killing a man who was abusing a Hebrew workman. Oh, how the mighty have fallen from son of a king to a dusty shepherd. But God showed up. It isn't all that surprising that Moses was hesitant. Any one of us would be. I mean, let's set aside for a moment the shocking supernatural sight of the burning bush. Moses was being called upon to challenge the most powerful ruler on earth with the mightiest armies on earth. And he was a dusty sheep herder. On top of that, there were deep family entanglements that had to complicate his emotions. He was raised in their home as a son, a prince, but now he was a wanted criminal. I think if we look at it, we can all say that life gets messy sometimes. There are things that happen in the course of time that make all of us reassess our worth, High and lofty hopes and plans are dashed by events that we can't take back. Bridges are burned, words are spoken, deeds are done, families are split up, crimes are committed, lies have been told, scars are on display. Have you ever been in a situation where you have thought, well, you know, I might be able to do something good here, but nobody would listen to me. Nobody would would follow me. Nobody's going to want to hear from me because of the things I've done in the past. Nobody is going to want to follow what I have to say. Nobody wants to hear my opinions because I have this scarlet letter. I have. Life is messy. Aren't you glad for the forgiveness and the grace of God? He dispenses his grace according to his will for his glory. So here you have Moses who has descended from the heights of power in Egypt to the dusty desert where he's tending sheep. God presents himself in the midst of a burning bush and says, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses hesitated. He said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, I will certainly go with you. I will certainly go with you. God has promised that so many times in scriptures, and I can tell you by looking back in my life, he has never failed. He has never left me. He has never called me to go somewhere and abandoned me in the process. Ladies and gentlemen, God will be with you. If he sends you somewhere, you don't go alone. If you jump to Exodus chapter 29 verse 45, it says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. You can go all the way to the New Testament where Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. He is always there. You never have to fear about being alone. You never have to fear that he's sending you off on a fool's mission. You are always going to be accompanied by the master who has sent you on your way. God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses always has a comeback. (laughs) I find that I'm that way too. Whenever I'm challenged to go beyond my boundaries, whenever I'm challenged to go beyond what I think are my limits, I can come up with every question to try to stymie the process. Are you that way? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come. And the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of Egypt. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. Hallelujah. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Now Moses, being carnal and being normal, said, A stick. It's a stick. It's a rod, a staff. It's my tool that I use when I'm tending the sheep he literally just said a rod but it was a day to day tool it was something he used every day in his trade you see a shepherd carries a staff to guide the sheep to correct the sheep to protect the sheep to move things out of the way if A serpent had been in the path in front of the sheep, the shepherd would use the stick to move the serpent out of the way. If a wolf or a coyote were around, the staff would be used to defend the sheep. It's a stick. It's just a stick. It's not special. It's carved from a tree and uh, all scratched up, and it's just a stick. And God said, throw it down. So Moses threw it down and it turned into a serpent. You know, the very thing that Moses would have used it to push out of the way. I'm sure that caught Moses off guard. And then God said, now pick it up by the tail. Now, at this point, if that had been me, the story would have ended because I don't know that I could be obedient in that situation. But Moses reached down and picked it up by the tail and it turned back into a staff. God called Moses to use the everyday tool that he carried around for supernatural purposes. Now, I want to broaden this discussion just a little bit as we look at this and and let you see the point I'm trying to make here. We have learned that God does not ask questions for his own benefit. He knew exactly what Moses had in his hand. I think he was talking in a larger sense as well. What do you have in your hand? And I think he's asking you the same thing. You who have been questioning whether or not you could be used by God. You who have doubted. You who have feared when God has shown you what he wants you to do, shown you where he wants you to step, shown you the path he wants you to take, and you're like, well, I don't have anything. I'm just me. I don't, I'm, I've got all of these issues. I've got a messy life. I've got all of these things holding me back. I've got handicaps. I've got this. I've got that. I've done this. I've done that. I can't be used by God. And God says, what do you have in your hand? From a larger vantage point, what Moses had in his hand was years of experience. You see, he'd been raised in the home he was going to walk into to challenge. He knew the way that they worked. He'd been educated in their schools. He knew what their beliefs were. He knew God had already put that in his hand. The familial bonds that were there, God had put those in his hand. But Moses didn't recognize that. That was just everyday stuff. It was just a stick. It was just what he carried around with him. It was just what he had in his hand for work. He was It's like asking a plumber, "What is that in your hand?" "It's a uh it's it's a wrench. It's just a wrench. It's not going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But if God put it there, then you can rest assured that he can use it for his glory. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you have in your hand? You have been wondering how God can use you. You have known that God has given you dreams and shown you great things, but you have no idea how to get there. And God says, what is that in your hand? You see, just like Moses, he's already given it to you. He's already prepared you. He's already paved the way for where he wants you to go. You just haven't recognized it yet. Throughout Moses' life and ministry, you will see him carrying that rod and using it in miraculous ways. That simple, scarred-up stick that he carried to lead sheep becomes an integral part in what he has to do for God. What is in your hand today? Ladies and gentlemen, what is it that God has brought you through? What scars do you bear? What experiences do you have? What knowledge do you have? How can that be used for God's glory? Well, God can't use me. Well, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Well, you know, I'm pretty good at uh, computers. I do a lot of uh, spreadsheets for work, and I'm pretty good at that. Do you know how many ministries would love to have somebody with that kind of skill on board? Well, you know, I love to be around my grandbabies. I love to be around kids. I just, kids just light me up. But, you know, I'm kind of, you know what? How many churches would love to have somebody with a passion for children and for God who can lead children in their church? Well, you know, I've got a broken home. I've uh, I've come through a divorce. I've come through, uh, I've come through tragedy. Do you know how many people could be helped by your experience? What is that in your hand? Stop hiding behind your failure and realize that God can use you for his glory. He is omnipotent. He is not limited by our actions. In fact, our acts and our history and our pain and the scars that we bear can be used for his glory to reach people for Jesus Christ and expand the kingdom of God. What is that in your hand? My wife is a very talented artist. She has... Uh, created some amazing paintings. She does watercolor work. She's she's done several media, but, uh, but watercolor is her medium of choice. And she is exceptionally talented. And she has a way of bringing to life images and then attaching scripture to them. And it touches people's lives. What is that in your hand? What is your talent? Oh, I don't have much talent. My wife used to work... Uh, in early childhood education. She spent years teaching other people's children and taking care of them in her youth. And now, once we got married and our children began to uh, become school-aged, she discovered that her calling was to educate our children. So many people say, oh, I couldn't be at home with kids all day. I couldn't teach kids all day. She loved teaching children. And so God has used that in her calling to build the lives and to pour Christ into the lives of our children. What better calling is that? What is that in your hand? stop doubting and downplaying and, 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 and disregarding what God has placed in your hand and use it for his glory no matter what it is. There is nothing on this earth, nothing that you have gone through, nothing that you've experienced that is beyond the redemption of God and that God can't set aside for his purposes. What is that in your hand? God said, cast it on the ground So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it, as would I. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they will believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Wow. Can you imagine God showing you all of these great and mighty things, signs and wonders, things that will blow your mind you'd be convinced right i doubt it moses wasn't then moses said to the lord oh my lord i am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant but i am slow of speech and slow of tongue but but god but but god listen listen god I I can't talk. I I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not I'm not Billy Sunday. I'm not David Jeremiah. I'm not Michael Jackson. I'm not Scott Lewis. I can't talk like they can talk. Those guys, they have an education that I don't have. Those guys, those guys can talk better. They can they can string sentences together in ways that paint pictures. I can't do that, God. I am incapable of talking. I'm slow of speech. I I stutter. And God said, "Who made your mouth?" Who is it that made your mouth? I kind of sense that God's patience is wearing a little thin here. (laughs) You see, there's something very important to understand. God does not call someone that he doesn't believe in. God does not call someone that he's not capable to carry through. And there is this tendency within us to confuse humility with disobedience. The difference is, if you're promoting yourself and you're walking around saying, well, I know this and I've got this education and I've got this background and I've got these skills and I'm so proud of this and I want you to know about them, that's called pride and that is sin. But when God calls you to do something, recognizing what you have in your hand is not pride. And and denying what God can do through you is not humility, that is rebellion and disobedience. Don't cross the line into rebellion and disobedience thinking that you're simply being humble. It's wrong. What you're not doing is doubting yourself. What you're doing is doubting God. When God says, I will go with you, and God says, you will accomplish this, and when God said, they will listen to you, and you say, oh, but 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 I, but I can't. Can't you send somebody else? Please, God, send somebody else. I can't talk. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have this. I don't have that. You are denying God what he wants, and that is rebellion, my friend. Do not be rebellious. What is that in your hand? God has given it to you. God has placed it in your hand. Use it for his glory. Don't doubt him. God made your mouth. He knows what you can do with it. He knows what you can say. He made you. He is under no illusions. Father, I preached a hard message tonight, and I have shared with the people out of your word what I think it is that you want to tell them, that you want to tell them that you've called them to something greater, that you've prepared them for it, and that their doubts are meaningless because what you have ordained will come to pass. Lord, forgive us for doubting you. We think we're doubting ourselves, we think we're doubting our abilities, we think we're doubting our upbringing, we think we're doubting our past, but in reality, what we're doing is taking our eyes off of you. We're taking our eyes, putting our eyes on ourselves and taking them off of what you've told us to do. But God, we do understand that when we put our eyes on you, we can accomplish anything. Whatever you send us to do, we can accomplish because you are right there with us. Lord, forgive us of our pride, forgive us of our selfishness, and cause us to humble ourselves and submit to what it is you're telling us to do. Show us the tools that you've placed in our hands. Show us the preparation that you've put into our lives to accomplish what you want us to accomplish for your glory, for your honor in your time help us to move forward and stop making excuses help us to honor you and then help us to enjoy seeing the miraculous works that you do with a submitted life I ask all of these things in the precious name of my Lord and my Savior my God Jesus the Christ. Amen. You can be a part of this ministry. You can be a part of this podcast. You can be a part of the outreaches to the communities. You can be a part of having an impact on people's lives around the world. And it's easy. All you need to do is go to patreon.com slash Worldwide. That's patreon.com slash worldwide. Worldwide, Become one of our patrons. A small monthly contribution will help us to improve the product that we present to you via this podcast, as well as help fund the outreaches that we have going on behind the scenes worldwide. This podcast is being listened to in Africa, in Russia, in Japan, in many, many parts of the world. And you can be a part of that impact. You. 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 go to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash f as in frank c as in charlie m as in mike worldwide